I am recording. I, Don, we are we are doing our favorite our, our favorite bit. Is it? <laughs> it's not it a bit. It's a is segment. It a, is it a trope yet? Is it, am no, I using that trope? Word? Am I using that correctly? No. 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 Not at all. I just, <laughs> <laughs> no. No. That's. It's not a. It's, it's not a trope. It's, it's not no, a meme. It's a segment. Ben. It's a segment. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's a shtick. That. <laughs> It's a, it's a segment. It's a segment. Okay. So here we are. It's food safety talk because we don't have an intro other than. Hey, meal can I, can I put, can I just run away real quick? I got to make sure my dogs are not in the yard. Hold on. Sure. You, you run away and I will not hurt. Like I will not talk to our mystery guest at all. My mystery guest. I, I figure that you're, you're on mute. Cause I might recognize your voice. <laughs> yep. There you go. Perfect. I got a high Ben. All right. Hmm. I'm. I am interested in who the, who our mystery guest is. All right. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Right. We're ninety nine percent possible uh, that uh, the the dogs were uh, in the house, but I wanted to confirm. And now the lawn crew is here. So perfect. That's good. They. Hey. Um. I. I love. I. I had a little conversation with our mystery guest. Oh, um, good. In the chat. Good. In the chat. In the chat. Because uh, I believe that that our mystery. I. I think part of part of the mystery today is that I might recognize the mystery uh, vo mystery guest voice. Oh, I, I think you are correct in that. Yeah. Um. So and so I got a high Ben and we strive for full confidentiality. So so here we are. We're at the bit. Um. And 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 it is. Um, 20 questions, although neither of us ever count. <laughs> it's just number right. of number of questions to make Ben feel awkward to see whether he, uh, he he can guess who's here, right? Yeah, and I'm thinking I'm thinking the odds are pretty good that you're going to be able to get to this to and to figure this out. Okay, I find it really interesting. So let's start with with uh, question question number one, which isn't a question yet. It's me making a comment about our mystery guest's avatar, which is. <laughs> Um, what looks like beans, green beans, maybe, um, and they are being sprayed in some sort of a washer um, at a at a production facility or a harvesting facility. Uh, so my question is, am I correct? It's a, uh, I, that that's what the avatar is. So I, I think that I think that is correct. Yes, yes, mystery guest confirms in the chat that this is correct. And the the reason why this is their picture is that their actual picture was a picture of them, and and this was a random picture that they could find quickly on their computer. So that I mean, actually tells yes. you maybe a little bit about them. Yes, that's how that's very that's helpful. That was that was my next question: is is this is this a picture that the mystery guest took? I'm I'm gonna say probably yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. Mystery okay. guest confirms good. the answer is yes. Um. It does does our mystery guest, um, uh, is is our mystery guest uh, someone who I have met in real life, in, oh, yes. in person? Yes. Yes. Yep. Good. Um. Is our mystery guest uh, someone who deals with um? Oh, let's say fresh produce food safety. Um. Not especially fresh produce necessarily. But I would say they're nominally in the food safety space. Mr. Guest, can you confirm, do you consider yourself someone who works in food safety? Nominally, yes, nominally in food safety. In food safety. <laughs> oh. Um, does, um, um, 
nominally in food safety. See, I was I had a whole I had a whole panel of people in my mind on who this was <laughs> that okay. who who I think would identify as very much in food safety. Okay. Hmm. Um does does our mystery guest work in the food industry? And and by that I mean not in regulation, not in the world of academia, but but works works in for for either a company or a series of companies or as a as a consultant or or something like that. That's a lot I, of questions. No. I, oh. Well, I would say the answer is no. Yeah, the answer is no. Hmm. I'm, I'm updating. Mr. Guest is using the the chat here. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Is Mr. Guest someone who we've talked about on our podcast, Don? Their name has probably come up. Uh, not helpful. <laughs> a lot of people's names come up. Now. Right, right. Um, has, um, is it, <laughs> are there, are there other pictures of, um, of food safety things that this person has on their, uh, or does our mystery guest have on their, on their computer or on their phone? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, but again, I but, will stress this was a person, this was a, a picture that they could quickly I find on their computer. Yeah. So I, not, I'm sure they have lots of pictures on their computer. They're, they're not, they're not typing anything in the chat right now um, to further clarify. But yeah. Um, have I, okay. Um, does our, does our podcast do, or does our podcast, do, is, is our, um, is our mystery guest uh, someone who um, also does a podcast? I would say no. I don't okay. think they do a podcast. No. Okay. They, the mystery guest confirms no. Has our mystery guest been a guest on someone else's podcast? I don't know. Yes. Oh, mystery okay. guest says yes. That yes, I mystery, was. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Um. I'm not sure that that's helping me here at all. <laughs> but but you would you would say that if I um that that if I spoke with the mystery guest, I would identify who the mystery guest is by voice. And uh, it, yes, it, with, yeah. within a, within a matter of seconds. Within a matter of seconds, um, is our huh? This is the the nominally in food safety is really throwing me off, Don. Well, it'll become clear. Don't don't get too thrown thrown off by that. Now, I think you were making good progress. Oh, oh. oh go ahead. Is our does our does our mystery guest do things with water? Um, like well, I'm sure they drink it. Yeah, no, no, but like uh, food food like water quality things and not, and safety of not, water. Not no. not really. Oh. <sighs> I, Although Chana Rock would be a great guest, <laughs> that was my guess, Don. That was I was going with Chana Rock. It's not Chana Rock. It's not Chana Rock. Um, that's that's okay. that's the episode title right there. It's not Chana Rock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, um, do, does our does our mystery guest? Okay, so not, also this would be really early for Chana. Just just you know, true, true. That is a bit of a hint, maybe. Yeah. Um, yep, yeah, someone on the east, east coast, or maybe in Europe. Maybe this is a are, is our mystery guest in Europe? Not as far as I know. Is hmm. <laughs> our, our mystery guest is on is is in the the U the U S or on the east coast? Yes. Okay. Um, is Don? Is the call coming from inside the building? Is this? 
<laughs> is the mystery guest in my someone here in my office? The the mystery guest does not work for your university, no. Okay. Does the mystery guest work for any university? I'd say yes. Okay. Okay. Oh. Is our mystery guest Chuck Haas? Also a good guess, but no. no. Oh. Well, Chuck, we want you to come on our podcast too. And whoever the mystery guest is, I, I'm sure you're as good as both Chana and Chuck. Um, uh, university. It was almost as funny as when our guest was Casey Liss and you guessed him and, last of the and, three uh, hosts yeah. on ATV. And I said, is it Marco? <laughs> no. <laughs> is it John? Is it John? No. <laughs> um, do, does, the, um, does the mystery guest work for my university? <laughs> no. Um. Does a mystery guest work for the University of Georgia? Is the mystery guest Ka- is the mystery guest Caitlin Casuli? Oh, yes, I did it! I did it! Well done. Oh, I, well I done. feel like this is the only one I've ever answered correctly. Yeah, I, th- uh, I figured if yeah. you didn't get this one, I was going to really start to worry. I know, but normally in food safety is what you're. You're right. You're right, Caitlin. You are right. exactly right. I I messed up. I would have thought i think of you as a food safety person but you're you're more you're more broad than that well and she i mean she's she's like she's an engineer right i think yes, she identifies exactly. as an engineer and caitlin you can you can jump in anytime yeah, yeah. caitlin's here you, you can talk yeah, I, now. I, was, I was wondering if this was the part where i come in so yes my this is the part where once he's guessed yes okay all right all right that works but my official I, title is assistant professor and extension process specialist so ooh. a little bit more than food safety yes. but uh, definitely uh focus on food safety yeah yeah and and i mean you and i um you you and i cross over in in the worlds of, of, oh, yeah. of food yep. safety yeah, yeah yeah and and like for um i mean for our listeners if you go way back into the archive of food safety talk there there was a um a, an episode that we recorded in lansing michigan that i think has really terrible audio if i remember yeah. I don't even, do we even we did post that episode right we did yeah and then afterwards caitlin was so gracious and invited don and i um plus other listeners of the podcast plus Danny to come to her um, living room and hang out and and drink beer, which was awesome. And that was, I, I, that was not the first time that I met Caitlin, but it was um, it, it, it was it's one of the more memorable things. No one, no other podcast listener has invited us to their living room, <laughs> and no other podcast guest has invited us to their living room to. Well, really, well, don't. Uh, don't forget the time that I beat you and Dean Linton in yeah. golf. Oh, I and won't that forget was, that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I see how you've uh, made that the not most memorable time. But you reminded me also, like our connection goes way, way, way back before oh, that yeah. to yep. when we met first when you were a high school student and came to NC State for a summer program, which I can't remember what it was even called. Yeah, uh, so I was actually a rising freshman at that point. So I had just finished up my senior year um, and the program was, I think, something like reaching incoming students in Richmond. Yes, yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and Caitlin, um, you were in food science with, I can't, who, who, was, who was your placement with? Uh, so I worked with Dr. Cathario. Right. And, uh, and I had, uh, um, a, a person, uh, his name is Ted Reeves. Um, mm-hmm. and he's now, I think a doctor somewhere. Um, but, uh, but we, yeah, we, we connected then 
And then uh, a few years later, you beat me in Rich Linton at golf. And I think tried, like, I, I would say tried to swindle us, like, like played very coy really until the last few holes where, where had we been playing for money, Don, I would have lost a, a lot of money to Caitlin. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And I'm then kind and of then, disappointed she didn't hustle you guys better. I I'm a little bit disappointed too. I think she was, she was feeling maybe, um, that, that it was like, you would have, it basically you would have taken advantage of us. Like you were, you felt bad for, yeah, for how bad I, you hustled us. I would have felt guilty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so anyway, oh, good. I so tell okay, Caitlin, so tell I, me about. I, I have to say, like the accidental finding of a picture of green beans was perfect. <laughs> right? Oh, so good because because it's it was not it's not something that you typically associate Caitlin with doing. No, nope. except that it maybe her job now at Georgia is going around and and you know not doing this, but it's very it was very it was good because it was just enough off of how you I mean if it was a picture of peanut roaster or you know something that she's had expertise mm -hmm. and she's worked on you know it would it would make sense but it but it wasn't it was just enough of a of a of a off to 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 throw you and I think that was that was we couldn't have planned it better no totally yeah. and, and it, it I mean it made me go down to two paths to to Channa and Chuck right like right. and I couldn't right. figure well, out what... which which also would be kind of nominally in food safety or food right, safety right. right yeah so yeah and I guess what I, what I wanted to say is like this person is not a food safety microbiologist although they understand microbiology right and they've probably even worked in done experiments with microorganisms but not that's not what they I would say that's not how I you know how they well certainly it's not it's not her job title and uh and yeah it's not it's not her expertise right 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 yeah would you so now that we're here would you say that I'm a food safety microbiologist? No. Yeah. Okay. Good. Because no. I'm because I'm not. But no. it, yeah. But it's weird, right? Like no, you're, you're a department get, head. Right. Right. I'm a depart <laughs> department head, not a chair. Don. I was just like, yeah, you got that right. Um, no, but it's weird, right? Like because we, I, I'm yeah. in this space. I. So can I tell you a really a really fun story? Um, while, sure. While Caitlin's here, so I had the pleasure, Don, of meeting um, one of our uh, listeners this morning. Um, and, and I, I, not to OPSEC, I'm, I'm just going to use, um, the listener's first name. Her name is Carolyn. Carolyn, uh, dropped by my office and it was, uh, it, it was, it was, uh, planned. So I got an email message from Carolyn last week saying, Hey, uh, I'm going to be in Raleigh. I'm on my way through. Um, I listened to, uh, my, my husband and I both listened to risky or not. Um, and then because of risky or not, we found food safety talk and, um, and, and, you know, I'd, I'd just love to drop in and, and, and meet you. And we have a mutual connection. We, we know someone who is a little bit of a surprise, like not a food safety person, but who knows both oh. of us. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to, I'm not going to opsec that, that whole, um, the, the whole relationship, but it was a really, it, so it, um, it was a really nice, interesting conversation and, um, two, two things, you know, like Don and I, um, like to ask people and Caitlin, since you've known us for so long, I'm not, you know, I don't know how you, um, how you stumbled upon the podcast other than, you know, us, um, but, uh, but Carolyn stumbled upon the podcast on, um, because kind of, because she was listening to this week in virology. Oh, and okay. she's not a virologist. She, um, she, she does things with, she used to do things with computers. 
and um which is a call out to another podcast um and and she's retired but she started listening to this week in virology and somehow um stumbled upon risky or not when she was looking for some other um other podcasts and and two things came up the from our discussion today one it was just a lovely really cool interaction um with someone who who we we wouldn't know right like without without the podcast but also we she and i um she asked me a question about um really this week in virology which is not not our podcast but about our view on their take on risk right oh, right 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 and that don't was even get me started exactly I, I i don't listen i mean i you know i appreciate what they're doing i do listen to the friday updates uh from daniel griffin but i can't i cannot listen to the podcast because they just they fundamentally don't understand risk despite my best efforts to educate them right <laughs> but so By here's sending them emails but yeah they just here, here's the it. like this is where it all kind of links into to mm-hmm. caitlin right so so you know we we had a little bit of a conversation and i think i i would describe you you know you your your twitter handle is bug counter i i, I don't know if you you see yourself as like a math person first who really likes microbiology or a microbiologist who really likes math but but I I see you as as a math person who re, who's really really into microbiology, and I see myself as a communications person who's really really into microbiology. Right, like over my career, that's what I've sort of morphed into. And you, our intersection is in that food microbiology world. And similarly, I see Caitlin mm-hmm. as a food engineer who really really <laughs> likes microbiology. Right, so we can all kind of play in this common space, but we all bring different backgrounds and the yeah. this week in virology folks are virologists right with <laughs> with no ability to understand risk but they don't or anything quantitative which they don't have yeah, to right they don't want to right like they're they're and and it, they like to talk they very much like would, to talk about the the and, theoreticals right right and I, and I would say it's not that they don't want to it's they don't understand that that's a way to view the world right yes whereas i can't that's the only way that i can view the world and, and i would say in terms of myself i would say i i would say i am nominally a food microbiologist um i'm i'm someone who decided to be a food microbiologist before he realized that he was actually better at other things <laughs> yeah <laughs> but by then it was too late it was too late right right now but not, you, but not yeah. really because because now i can like talk to engineers and and statisticians and microbiologists and none of them really know what i am but, but that's okay right <laughs> Right, right. Well, and and so, Caitlin, this is what I want to ask you about. Yeah. Was mm-hmm. is that is that how you see your how you see yourself? Yeah, I mean, I've I've uh, had the really interesting observation this summer of going to two different specialized conferences. You know, IAFP, uh, which is mainly food safety, and then uh, Coffee, which is the Conference of Food Engineering. And it's interesting to see uh, just this small group of people that can play in both spaces and mm-hmm. can have presentations and conversations that are relevant to both communities. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's it causes a little bit of, um, you know, I don't know, identity crisis in, in what I do is because is it like, am I a food safety person or am I an engineer? I think in both communities, you're seen as the outsider because mm. you're not really in the fundamental space of either one. So um, there's, you know, pros and cons to both. I enjoy being in both communities, but um, I think 
I think there just needs to be a space for people that really specialize in more than one thing. Yeah. It, it, so this conversation, it, it, I don't know, it's, it's hit, it hits me, um, head on. Cause a lot of things that we're talking about now in my, you know, my new, my new life as department head, Don, not mm-hmm. chair. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we talk a lot about interdisciplinary things, right? Like, like this is, this is where our college wants to be. We want to be mm-hmm. interdisciplinary. We want to be just like you said, Caitlin, we want researchers that are comfortable playing in multiple spaces that can answer questions more completely than if they were only playing in one space. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want extension people that can do that. And we want mm-hmm. our instruction to be able to do that. And the, like, without getting too much into the, you know, behind closed doors side of this, it, the structure of a college and university sometimes doesn't, uh, like, it makes it hard to do that. It makes it mm-hmm. hard mm-hmm. to to run a multi, like not even a multidisciplinary program, but a multi-department or a multi-college mm-hmm. program. And and those are things that I think are really mind-numbing for for everyone involved, right? Like like that it, when when I was a um, a faculty member, it like none of that stuff matters. Like someone else figured that out, right? And now that I'm in the role that I am now, it's kind of like I'm the person who's part of the okay, someone else figure it out. And then the more you you push the more it's like, uh oh, it's like the structure is not built for this, right? Mm-hmm. Like it takes mm-hmm. really good people to span the, the structure, but, but even, even within the department setup, and I don't like, I wouldn't say that this is how my, my department acts, but certainly there are departments within our college and within the university. They're like, no, 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 we can't like even reward people for multidisciplinary work. Mm-hmm. Like, like, mm-hmm. like you're, you got a your you know reappointment promotion and tenure process is about all the things that you're doing for the disciplines that we're very comfortable with mm-hmm. not you might be comfortable with which is that's hard right like that's yeah yeah um do you so don did did you always feel comfortable in these two worlds like going back and forth from risk and in into food safety because again like you you've been you've been at the society for risk analysis and, and you've, you certainly have interacted in, in that world, which is not just about food safety. Is that, what's that like for you? Cause I've never done communication like stuff, like uh, everything I've done has been in food safety. Yeah. Well, I'll say not only Ben, do have I been at the, the society for risk analysis meeting, uh, but thanks to our, our good friend and, and listener, Chuck Haas, um, I am now officially a fellow of the oh, society well, for risk analysis, which just happened this year. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you're you. You're welcome. Thanks to, thanks to Chuck's, uh, uh, nomination. So I'm very grateful for that. So, yeah, I would say, <clears throat> you know, my, my, and again, I, that we should, we should, you know, this well, you can talk to me anytime. We should talk about Caitlin, but I, but I'm interested yeah. in her. I'm interested right. in her her journey and how much of it maps to to my journey because I started yes. off as a food science major um, uh, because I didn't know what else to do and I hated food science. And then I discovered food microbiology and I'm like, oh, here is a part of food science that I actually enjoy and could do. And I think part of the reason why I ended up in microbiology is and no 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 shade against the people that taught. 
um, processing at Cornell, but I I did not realize that I liked math. Well, that's not true. There was a class. There was a a, a guy who was like a a research associate in in the sensory lab who had this amazing thing like where you it's essentially was a simulation for sensory panels where you could go in and you could like program like various distributions and then run sensory panels and and it was a very cool way it was really like a like a modern day risk model where you could investigate the statistics of sensory and i really liked that huh. but it didn't really click to me like that that was a thing and then and the engineering class the processing class that i took was just it was like about you know milk flowing through pipes and you know i don't know it just wasn't it just didn't didn't click for me and then when i went to graduate school and i took romeo toledo's uh engineering class it was like it blew my mind because it was like oh wow this this stuff is cool and it's interesting and, and i'm good at it and then uh and then again i took some i guess i, I took i i did like the stats classes i took as an as an undergrad that was one of the classes that i i did not as bad in um, but I never really figured out a way, like, how could I, how could I put that together and be a food scientist? That just never, never happened. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm getting a degree in food science. I'm a food scientist. And then, um, you know, and then working for Larry Bouchard was a great experience. But again, and I have great appreciation for the kind of microbiology that Larry does, because it's, I would consider that like traditional food microbiology. But then I realized that I really want to do something that's more math oriented and then again Romeo Toledo was was kind enough to take me on as his PhD student and basically let me do whatever I wanted uh, you know within within the defined project area and then and then again coming to Rutgers and just sort of figuring out oh I heard hearing a talk from Ted Labuza about time temperature indicators and microbial growth kinetics and I'm like oh yeah this is I could do this 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 now see now we're talking now this is so it took me <clears throat> took me a while to find the space that I something that I was good at that, that was nominally related to food science. And, and again, I didn't start off to be a food safety person. I started off because I with my crop because I wanted to study fermentation. Right. And you got you got to understand growth kinetics and and all that to do fermentation. But I, so, yeah, but I've never I've never really felt I mean, the, I, the food microbiologist, I don't think know what to make of me and the and the other communities don't really I mean, the, the, here's the thing. I think the engineers think I'm a microbiologist and the microbiologists think I'm an engineer, right? And, and the risk modelers, you know, don't know what to think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Agree 100%, yeah. And is that your, like, Caitlin, is that, is that your kind of experience? And you, you know, I, I say this not like, you know, you're not, you're not new to this field. I mean, you're, mm -hmm, you're new mm -hmm. in, in, your, in your position, but you've been around the, this intersection of engineering and food safety um, for 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 some time, right? Like for, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. is, is that is that your kind of you know same same kind of experience? Yeah, a little bit. Um, so I got really interested in food science when I was in high school um, through school, and then uh, seeing uh, TV shows like I don't know if you remember Unwrapped on the Food Network. Yeah. Um, how they show like all the different processing steps of different foods, and I was like, oh, that's so cool. And then I figured out that I could do it for a living. So um, I originally wanted to go into something like product development. And I think that's where a lot of students start out is, you know, having the glamour of seeing something on the shelf that you worked on and, and work to develop. Um, so I signed up for the program that you were talking about before, before my freshman year. And um, I got put in a microbiology lab, which was, um, I think, not a good fit for me at the time. Um, it was more kind of the fundamental molecular stuff. So I was doing 
a lot of PCR, um, a lot of, you know, kind of things that I didn't really understand or were very abstract to me. Mm. Um, so I, you know, tried to find where, you know, my, my niche was in food science. And I figured, you know, looking around different professors' websites and, I found food engineering and I thought, oh, you know, this sounds much more practical, much more hands-on, um, getting to work with equipment, getting to see things work. Um, and I think that's what really sparked my interest in processing. Um, and I credit my undergraduate advisor a lot for taking me on as a freshman and uh, letting me get the independence of working in a food, uh, food engineering lab and um, being able to, you know, make my own experience throughout my undergraduate career. Um, and then, you know, once I came upon junior, senior year, I wasn't quite sure where all this was going to take me. Um, I had done a couple of internships in industry that uh, just didn't seem very satisfying to me um, in terms of what you could do getting out into the industry with a bachelor's degree. Uh, so I looked more into graduate school. Um, wanted to work with someone in engineering, um, you know, get the engineering degree so that way I could shift my focus more toward processing for a job afterward and uh, stumbled upon Michigan State, found two people, uh, Dr. Marks and Dr. Dolan, who worked in processing and modeling and a little bit more into food safety. Um, you know, it was it was a time where I thought that food micro could be a feasible path if it was integrated with engineering enough. And these two guys seem to uh, have programs that would really give me the opportunity to do that. So, um, you know, that led me to the master's and then um, eventually master's to PhD, uh, which I then brought on someone from Rutgers to my committee and to nominally co-advise me. Uh, I don't know if that was a mistake or not, but- wow. We all make mistakes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, well, you know uh, it's it's very a... easy. It's very easy to be a Monday morning quarterback. Right, right. I have a, I have a, a, a my my calendar um, knows when I want to have a meeting with Caitlin. It automatically uh -huh. populates it um, with um, mentoring the unmentorable. <laughs> uh, and I would say that there's we have a long history because uh -huh. prior to that, I was advising the unadvisable. So. Yeah, That's perfect. Yeah. Uh -huh. Perfect. <laughs> Yeah, but, but anyway, that's kind of the path that took me to, you know, making these little changes here and there as I found things I liked and found things I didn't like, you know, um, getting a degree in engineering and being able to take the classes and curriculum in engineering, I think was a big benefit for me in the long run. Um, but I ultimately figured out that in, you know, in my PhD, I wanted to go back and you know, stay in academia and be a professor, but I didn't want to do it in a, you know, bio and ag engineering department because I just, I didn't see a lot of collaboration and overlap opportunities with people that are, you know, doing uh, wastewater stuff or mm. crop science or, you know, things like that, mechanization. Um, so I, I'm glad I found a home in food science. I think it's it's been a good place for me to be here and um, it's really, I guess, the sweet spot of what I'm doing is I get to work with processing, but I also get to dabble in the uh, food micro part of it as well. So, yeah, yeah. Well, and so I guess this this comes back to uh, 
the, your your avatar picture. Tell me about yeah. the. Tell me about this. <laughs> like, how did how did this come up? Because I'm 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 interested. Yeah. So you're yeah yeah. So, so this is something that you know about, but uh, for all the listeners, um, I one of my workshops is Better Process Control School, and uh, we got a call to do a Better Process Control School down in South Georgia in Tifton. Um, the audience was high school teachers, so high school ag teachers. And Georgia is very interesting because uh, back in you know the 1920s, uh, community canneries were very big in the southeast. Um, so if you if you look up some of the history on this, there were community canneries, I mean, hundreds per state, all the way from Texas um, up into North Carolina. But uh, the only state that really still has active community canneries is Georgia. Mm. And these mm. canneries are run out of the high school ag and 4-H programs. So these teachers were actually coming to get better process control school training to learn how to operate retorts, learn about sanitation, learn about equipment, learn about food micro. Um, so it, it was a it was a very different experience. And then um, after we finished up the workshop, we went over to the uh, Tift County Community Cannery and uh, we actually ran the retorts. And this is a picture of green beans being blanched. That's that's cool. awesome. Like, yeah. That, so, yeah, you you and I had a, a quick conversation um, a few mm -hmm. weeks ago about this, and, and I've never, like, I've never heard of sort of um, you know retort sitting in in high schools or community mm -hmm. canneries. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know of one um, community cannery that we have um, in the Eastern Band of Cherokee, um, in the very western part of our state, that mm -hmm. um, that that every once in a while. Um, you know the person who's who, who is the you know uh, person in charge for the better process or for the for the process or for the cannery um, leaves and so someone else needs to to learn how to be a pro process authority mm -hmm. is that the mm -hmm. right term mm -hmm. yep because um, it's outside of my world right like this is something that um, uh, my a, a couple of colleagues in in food bioprocess and nutrition sciences do but. But, you know, it, but this one, like when it's in a high school, that kind of like makes me that that's in my area. Right. Like we do a lot mm -hmm. of work with agriculture teachers, with culinary and foods teachers in high schools. We do a lot of um, training and, and um, professional development and then then also a lot of home food preservation stuff. So, yeah, this this is like a it, it seems really unique and it's a fascinating world and I'm sure it provides a bunch of different challenges and i'm glad that it's something that you've like you're you're the right person to like mm -hmm. to like work with that that group mm -hmm. right like mm -hmm. the, just from your you know your your approach of very practical and pragmatic food safety and the you know the intricacies of better process control schools mm -hmm. yeah that's that's pretty wild and it's good to it's good to know that this exists in in Georgia because you know when when the zombies come or <laughs> yeah. civilization collapses, clearly the place you want to go is to a high school in Georgia, mm -hmm. so you can like start up the food processing again. Yeah, right? yeah, they've uh, <laughs> they've got some pretty wild stories about thing you know people bringing in things at the start of the pandemic, like canning oh, yeah. Oreos and all kinds yeah. of wild things, and it's like oh, amazing. You know, people just doing the doomsday prepping. <laughs> yes, 
I'm pretty sure Oreos are one of those things you don't need to can. Yeah, and and I I wasn't sure if I could uh, find a safe canning recipe for Oreos, so that one uh, might be <laughs> yeah. not validated. But you know, yeah. low yeah. water activity, so I yeah, guess it's exactly. okay. Exactly. Um, and I I feel like we can't move uh, off of this topic without men mentioning. Um, I, also, a, a new faculty member who I know you've, you've interacted with quite a bit, yes. and I have as well at University of Georgia, um, Carla Schwann, um, mm -hmm. who's, who's driving the, the, you know, the um, I guess the bus of the National Center for Home Food Preservation that was, um, you know, had been, um, you know, run and um, and grown from from our friend Elizabeth Andrus uh, over the past few decades, and so it's mm -hmm. it's very cool to have both of you there to be such good collaborators um, in these areas. Cause it's, I think that's something mm -hmm. that, that we've historically um, in our disciplines have, have kind of suffered from where there's this mm -hmm. line between family consumer sciences and homes and processing. And, and that it's like, you know, th the, those two things never cross each other. Um, and, and the, you know, the microbes don't care. Good. See, I'm learning, Don, I can you're do learning. this. By, you're learning. I do good. this by myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to need you. Eventually it's just going to be yeah. AI. You're going to be AI and it's, and it's going to be me. Be, yeah. Head in the jar and occasionally you'll just press the button and you need an answer. Yeah. <laughs> and make you, we'll have like an animatronic of you, um, like pushing the bell. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the, like the hall of presidents. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. You mentioned something. Kayla, that made me think about something that I experienced soon after I moved to North Carolina, which was, you know, long-term food storage for preppers. Mm -hmm. And, and every once in a while I'll get like, uh, let me paraphrase some of the, the questions that I get, um, that, that either you, you have already received or will. Um, and it's, Hey, so, so I have, um, about four tons worth of rice. And, <laughs> and I would like to store it underground for, I don't know, 10 to 30 years. What's the best way for me to do that? Wow. And, and then, yeah. the, and then more information comes like, oh yeah. So I have, and, and when I, when I mean underground, I don't mean like in a cavern. I mean, I've built a series of, um, rooms underground in a place that I will not tell you about uh, exactly wow. where it is because I don't want you to come here. But but I have purchased um, fifty or seventy uh, school buses that have been retired and uh, they I've oh. put them underground and I've connected them and and now I want to know how I can keep food in there for a wow. really long time. Yeah, so wow. get ready for that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's probably more of a Carla question. So I'm, uh, See, I'm a little you're bit learning. Nice. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I'm uh, I'm happy. I'm happy to be a part of uh, Carla's program, and and we've been trying to formalize some collaborations with me having more of the process specialization, and she um, having more of the consumer outreach and extension programming specialization. But uh, yeah, you know, some of these questions are are a little bit wild and I'm glad she's there as uh, insulation for that. So I don't have to be the one answering these. <laughs> Perfect. It's good to have, it's good to have teammates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so 
one now now that we've now that we've got you here, Caitlin. Uh, one, one thing one thing that I'm interested in. So Don, Don and I come from I I would say two sort of distinct generations of faculty members at higher ed institutions at land grant institutions right mm -hmm. like we we were what are we don what are we like 15 years apart something like that holy something like that yeah yeah well i'll 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 opsec myself i'm i'm 44 and you are not you're not quite 60 right no sadly i'm on the other side of 60. Now. oh i didn't know that well there you go <laughs> yeah. well let's say we're about 50 years apart <laughs> 15 years apart um so yes. Um, and then Caitlin, I don't want, again, I'm not going to offset you, but I, I think that our age difference is probably, yeah, similar, yeah we're, right? we're about 15 years. Yeah. yeah. So, so my, my experience, cause I'm the sandwich generation here. Um, <laughs> my, my experience was I came into a faculty position that, that was his, had historically been supported by some like legislative dollars for help. But, mm -hmm. but that ended, like that ended before I came, right? So I didn't, mm -hmm. I wasn't, I, I never had to transition from, hey, here's like 40 or 50 or $70,000 a year to run your program that you're going to get mm -hmm. every year. Mm -hmm. um, even like from a hatch project situation, that's really not how it worked when I started for anybody with research appointment mm -hmm. here. There might be a little bit, but it's not, it, it wasn't anything, at, you know, really, really big. And, and so it was very much for me like an entrepreneurial world, right? Like go find mm -hmm. money to do the things that you want to do, support your program, grow it from, from the ideas that, that you, that you can sell. And I mm -hmm. didn't have any startup funds. Not like, I oh, feel wow. like I'm, feel like I'm the, like, um, you know, I had to walk seven, you know, seven miles uphill both ways. <laughs> both ways yeah. cool. No, like, and, and it was great. Like, I mean, it was fine. It was fine. I mean, it would have been, would have been awesome to have other, other support, but it was like, mm -hmm. it, you know, it wasn't like the people who are starting at the same time as me, all of us have been successful. Like we've, we've mm -hmm. all been able to, to, to do it. Dawn, your, your experience might've been a little bit different. Is that true? Like, did you have some, some like hardline support to get things started? When you, you know, it's it's very funny. Uh, just to show you how naive I was, um, I did not know that startup was something that you had to negotiate. Me, yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, and and the weird thing about when I started is that I uh, the guy that I replaced had a teaching extension appointment. Mm. He taught carbohydrate chemistry and he did extension. He did not actually have. A research lab and so uh, I came into a building where I was had a research appointment and there was no lab space for me and one one faculty member did offer that I could have a bench in his lab and then it turns out when I actually needed to use it he had much too important research to sacrifice to give me a space so but at that time we were just opening up the new wing of the the department which at the time was the Center for Advanced Food Technology and once that building was completed and opened up, then that relieved all the pressure of all the people that were piled on top of each other. And then all of a sudden there was a vacant, basically a, a half a lab. It's a big, big lab, but, but a half a lab suddenly opened up and it's like, oh, well, now you can have this uh, this lab. Now it's not on the floor with the autoclaves and where the other 
people doing biology and microbiology are located, but you know, it's only an elevator, short elevator ride away. And so that was sufficient. And then, and then eventually due to a faculty member um, dying, uh, I got a lab on the second floor and uh, yeah. And, and, and so, I, you know, but, but, but again, oh, and the only reason I, I ended up uh, getting any startup at all, at all was that the department chair at the time, Daryl Lund, um, negotiated it for me after I came. He sat down with the director of extension and said, look, this guy has to have a lab and he needs some things. And so I think I got about $30,000 worth of uh, startup. Now, what I did get from cooperative extension is I did get a position of a program associate, mm. um, which yeah. I, I didn't really use them as a program associate. I used them as a, as a lab tech, basically. And, and the idea was that they had full funding for three years. They had 50% funding for another three years. And I was able to get grants to basically, I don't know how long Sue ended up staying around, whether she stayed the full six years until I got tenure or not. But basically, I was able to, to you know, I did leverage that to, to some extent. And actually, and, and probably warped her mind forever because she ended up she was a nutritional sciences uh, grad from Cornell who was I think from New Jersey and ended up working for me um, getting bitten by the statistics bug when I had her making all these models and she actually went back to grad school in nutrition but with a heavy emphasis on statistics and then actually uh, lately I think she's been working at in the UC system as a, a uh, a statistics instructor. So, so that that's was sort of my early days at Rutgers. So, Caitlin, tell us about yours because you're right in the midst of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, my experience is that um, you know I've I've got a really nice office. I've got a good lab space. Um, it, you know, my my college I will say really supports extension. So, the College of Ag really puts a huge emphasis on uh, supporting extension in any way they can. Um, especially in my department, it helps that we have a department head who also has an extension appointment, so he understands and he's willing to leverage whatever he can to support me. Um, so in my office suite, we have two professors and two program coordinators. Uh, one of the program coordinators is fully supported by the department. The other one um, is both department and um, college funded, but eventually is going to be phased uh, to be mostly funded by our program here in extension. Um, so I do have, you know, really good personnel support. Um, I did, I did know that I had to negotiate for a startup package. So I was <laughs> able to do that. Um, I was able to get, you know, a pretty nice startup package, but, um, you know, I, I really used and abused that package at the start because my lab was, um, it was kind of one of those common spaces in the building where, you know, if someone's equipment breaks down, they would just kind of sneak it off into that space and, and leave it there to be someone else's problem. Um, <laughs> the graveyard. And it ended up being my problem. So we mm. had a lot of uh, surplus and dumpster trips to start out. But um, I'm really happy to say that the support that I've been given for financial, um, you know, resources has been enough for me to really equip my lab. Um, I will say on the flip side, though, that because you know, the space I'm in with processing, if you want to buy processing equipment, you need hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. Um, so right. I've really had a challenging time trying to leverage any source of funding because, you know, a lot of these um, commission crops are anywhere from three to 20,000, um, which is not nearly enough to buy a piece of equipment. 
Um, you know, USDA doesn't always like to fund big pieces of equipment, even if there's room in the budget. So um, it's been it's been a bit of a challenging space from that aspect. So, and what you you've been there now, not quite a year, right? Like, did you start? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I started in January, so yeah. eleven months now. Yeah. What um, what is your like? What's your first first year? been like like I know you've been traveling all over the state and you're getting to know lots of lots of people but what are you like what what have you been what have you been focused on yeah you know I'd say the first six months were really setting things up so getting that lab cleaned up getting it set up with new equipment and supplies um uh trying to find a graduate student which I'm happy to say I do have a graduate student um who started a couple of months ago so a PhD student from India um but yeah since june i've been um almost entirely on the road just going around uh you know in georgia and outside of georgia um attending conferences um doing workshops either for myself to learn or giving workshops um traveling down to our griffin campus a lot so on our griffin campus we have uh, what we call our food product innovation and commercialization center so really just, uh, you know, someone has a product idea and they want to get help from, you know, the development phase all the way through to the production phase. And this facility has capabilities uh, with, with the right equipment to do small production runs for companies. So it's really a nice opportunity to be able to help out with that uh, kind of um, activities. But yeah, a lot of lot of setting up, um, a lot of just trying to understand uh, people around me and how things work here. You know, um, I think it's it's always interesting to be thrown into a new environment, especially with faculty. Uh, you know, all from people around my age and my experience level, all the way up to people that have been here for uh, several decades. So. Um, trying to, you know, navigate personalities and, and find collaborators and, uh, you know, it, all, all that comes with that. So. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, I, like, ab absolutely. Um, so where do you, you know, I, I know you're, you're working with, um, processors, you're doing better process control school. Mm -hmm, where do you, mm -hmm. where do you see kind of like your, your niche? Sorry, this feels like a job interview. I don't know why. I'm yeah. Yeah. You already have a job. Um, don't like, yeah. 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 But, but what so, do you, yeah. Who are you like? Yeah. What's the niche? Yeah. I, I would say that my biggest interest right now is within, you know, novel processing. And I'd say areas where data has been deficient in, um, processing that might be considered more traditional. So, uh, one example of that is I really want to uh, look more into cold fill processes. So anything that would be just filling something either at ambient temperature or, uh, you know, not not to the level of like a hot fill process under under, say, like 100 Fahrenheit um, and just investigating how that process could be used if someone is really adamant about not heating something, um, you know, what what kind of acidifiers and um, other characteristics for uh, products would be um, necessary to get that microbial inactivation to um, say that this product is is relatively low risk. Um, 
I also, you know, I said something about novel processing. I want to go into that space and um, kind of go into microbial modeling uh, with it. So um, looking at, you know, what are our pathogens of concern in the particular food? Um, how do they get inactivated by this technology at the lab scale? How do we find surrogates, um, you know, quantify their inactivation at the lab scale? Um, and then now that we have a good surrogate, let's take that and scale it up to the pilot scale and even commercial scale to uh, see, you know, is this is this valid? And what what kind of variables in this process actually um, impact the inactivation process? Yeah. And, I, you know, I think it's interesting. We've mentioned better process control schools in the context mm -hmm. of this discussion. And I have to say, too, like uh, better. It's funny. It's a funny story about better process control schools. I. The very first extension workshop that I ever taught, which I actually agreed to teach before even joining the faculty at Rutgers, was a better process school that was a partnership between um, Maryland, Rutgers, and Virginia Tech. And it was always offered uh, down uh, on the eastern shore, I think, uh, of Maryland. And uh, I, I, you know, the couple of guys that I, I knew from that have since passed on they were like the 15 years ahead of me or more um, and uh, yeah it was really it was really a good experience as a young extension person but you're you're mentioning Caitlin you mentioned um, um, uh, processes like cold fill processes and then and again I, as much as I complained about the new edition of the canned foods book the, the basically the manual for the better process control school one nice thing that they've done in the changes is to change the acidified foods chapter to basically a something i forget exactly what they call it but it's but it's not just acidified food and it also includes um cold fill processes now there's not a lot mm -hmm. of details in there to help somebody but mm -hmm. it's still something that now is at least being taught and i think yeah you know cool and we've been doing we, we we do cold fill foods all the time um but the science behind that and again we and i've been doing some work for association for dressings and sauces in terms of taking all of their challenge studies and trying to build some some predictive capability based on those historical data, and it's a it's a it's a relatively untapped and unexplored mm -hmm. space that is mm -hmm. that's really important, right? Like, not yeah. make, I mean, if you can make up food, um, and again, and, and again, the North Carolina connection, Ben is you know Fred Bright um, yep. uh, mm -hmm. has done some amazing work specifically focused on pickles, right? right. Mm -hmm. But looking at okay, well, based on acidity, uh, what can we what can we conclude about a process? For pickles that doesn't include heat and lo and behold you know with a, again and fred's another one of these guys that's a weirdo like us right like that he's really yeah, yeah. good at like math and statistics but he's but he and he's a usda employee but he's also at north carolina state um and uh and he does like really cool stuff with uh you know in support of the pickle industry basically using amongst other things math and statistics mm-hmm so I've got um, I have some other North Carolina stuff that I want to talk to Caitlin about. <laughs> Go ahead. Get um, permission. You ready for uh, ready for uh, food safety barbecue talk? Food, Ooh, food, yeah. food, food barbecue talk. What? What? Okay. So um, this came. I'm going to drop you a, a link into um, what's what's the best way, Caitlin? Can, should I? Do you want me to put this into a? Uh, um, a chat or yep. uh, text, whatever. I'll put it. Yeah, put, I mean, you put, put it in, in the chat. That's yeah, fine. Put it in I'll the, put the chat. chat. Okay. So I'd like you all to go to this Facebook. I don't. I don't want to send people oh, to, no. to the metaverse, but um, too much. And that's the last time we'll ever use that phrase. Um, but this is a Facebook post um, to um, 
hospitality industry resource page yeah. for the triangle and beyond public page. I don't even know what this is, but it has to do with um, a, a barbecue place that's been around in, in downtown Raleigh for like a hundred years, Clyde Cooper's barbecue. Apparently um, <laughs> this week there was someone who, um, <laughs> who, who ate at Clyde Cooper's barbecue and said that the barbecue was pink because barbecue is pink. Don, I don't know mm -hmm. if you know that. I've, I've had I've had pink barbecue. It's uh, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's some good barbecue. And and sometimes it has fat in it because they it's a whole heart hog barbecue, right? That's chopped. Mm -hmm. So so you include the fat. And this person uh, again, I, we won't we won't say who, but they went to Yelp and said worst customer service I ever had in my life. Barbecue was very pink and had lots of fat in it. Tried to go back and tell them I either won't, I want my money back or something else. They refused to do other either. And here's my favorite part: after I called the cops up there, they gave me one piece mm. of chicken in a bag and said to keep the plate. Cops said I had to file a civil suit with the courts. Courts. Yep. Um, worst food ever. Cheese not even melted on the mac and cheese. Anyway, so this has oh. lit the world of like culinary Raleigh on fire because, <laughs> like, I mean, it's a it like if if you if you know about North Carolina barbecue, you know that it's pink, um, and and this happens with with smoking. Uh, but also like to call the police, like not the health mm -hmm. department, but the actual police showed up because someone had unquote uncooked pork plate. Um, so, so I don't even know so where Caitlin, I was. Was it you? Yeah, no, no. this is not Caitlin's from Wilson. No. Yeah. I right? know about barbecue. I'm yeah. not that, you know, no. <sighs> Caitlin grew up in, in barbecue country. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I do think so. I, I, I do have a food safety question, right? Like this, I, this was something that I was thinking about putting into risky or not, but I'd rather just talk about it here. You know, this is a um, years and years and decades and decades of people um, not understanding that color is not an indicator of safety. And in fact, in, in this case, the color is there because it's been smoked for so long. Right, like the mm -hmm. the time and temperature for this for this product to make barbecue, you're, you're looking at like 100 and you know 95 degrees Fahrenheit for like three hours, right? Whatever mm -hmm. pathogen is in there is is gone by by that time. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess my question is the what what do we how do we better communicate that? Right. Like, how do we better talk about this idea that pink doesn't mean that they're cooked and um, and that you can't you can't really just look at something to know whether there's no pathogens in it. And maybe this person didn't like it because, you know, she thought that it was, quote, un uncooked. But it does seem like a, there's a food safety thing here. Right. Like that not, not a, a perce perceived food safety issue. So what do we do? How do we fix this? <laughs> Are you asking you, me? Not yeah, I'm asking you both. It's a good start. <laughs> calling the cops is great, I, right? I, no, I don't. Yeah. I, honestly, I'm not sure. I'm not sure this is a problem that we can solve. I mean, how can you? I mean, what? What's the? What's the line from uh, um, that movie with the guy, um, Forrest Gump? Um, <laughs> you can't fix stupid. What's anyway? You can. Uh, stupid you, is as stupid does. I don't know. You can take our something but you can't take our freedom from braveheart is that the one you're no, talking no. about it's for from forrest gump it's oh something yeah about chocolates know, not, box of chocolates yeah well 
No, <laughs> but, mom, mama said you can't fix stupid, something like that. I right, right, right. Yeah, I know, but uh, anyway. Um, but this is this has been a hot topic on the on, on the Raleigh Twitter today. Yeah, I just have to wonder, you know, if to be a fly on the wall in that situation, you know, this woman's coming up. She's she's obviously going to be a little hot. You know, how did the restaurant react to this? Right. Were they were they really dismissive or were they supportive and trying to explain it to her? Um you know, I think I think a lot of it goes back to training and customer service. You know, I'm I'm more than willing to be, uh, you know, accept that I might be incorrect about something, but it's all about how you explain it to me. Um, you know, even even if I'm angry and irate and shouting at you, um, I think I think the service industry, you know, I I know they get a lot of that, and it's terrible, and they shouldn't have to, but you know, how do we as food safety specialists react to people coming at us thinking they might be right um, and and gently find a way to tell them that they're wrong, you know, and, and, you know, try and be diplomatic as possible. But yeah, yeah. And so th I think that's a good like, I, I think that's a good approach um, and, and good comment. What there there is a if you kind of dive through that post that I sent you both. Mm -hmm. um, Clyde Cooper's barbecue owner responds <laughs> saying it's extremely laughable and sad. You think this is an issue to call the cops over. You took the cops time may have needed to be an important call to complain because the barbecue was smoked pink. Furthermore, you were given chicken to replace your barbecue and told you to keep the perfectly good barbecue you thought was raw because you were so ignorant to the fact that barbecue turns pink when smoked. You wouldn't listen to us trying to explain that to you. You were given that chicken before you left and then you called the cops. Like, so maybe, you know, like there is an emotional situation, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. on, on, on both sides here. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I kind of wish that that this person had called the health department. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. that like that. First of all, that's the right place to call. Not not mm -hmm. not the police. Um, and that the health department could have jumped in and helped with this um, a little mm -hmm. bit. And we have a really great health department here in Wake County. Like who would have um, I'm, I'm sure uh, followed up and, and sort of explained about our local cuisine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and right. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, that one, that, I thought that was an interesting, um, mm -hmm. one to, one to talk about today. Yeah. Um, well, it, it, it kind of, it kind of, and again, you know, the, the internet is horrible and we should never go on it, but it kind of reminds me of, I guess it was ring either next door or ring, or maybe both, um, people complaining on Halloween of people putting out bowls of candy and people stealing the candy and stealing <laughs> the bowls. And my, my response was, um, I, that didn't happen at my house because I answered the door and I handed out candy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, which I, some people thought was funny, but <laughs> some people didn't appreciate, yeah. but people would rather just rail about how yeah. the world has gone to hell, you know, yeah. because apparently kids are stealing candy, um, and barbecues pink. Bar yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And call the cops. Call, call yeah. the cops. Um, uh, uh, okay. So there's something else I wanted to talk, talk about today. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm gonna. Someone sent this to us. I'll I'll send you a link, Caitlin, as well, um, to take a look at this. Uh, but you might have you might have heard us talk about it, or we might have um, interacted on this. But there was this ban in St. Louis on sharing food with homeless. Oh yes, yeah. And and so um, 
and and the the ban was was upheld at a at a federal court and so i just i wanted to get both of your takes on on this um as well so let me read a little bit from this article um the ordinance governing how food can be this is from uh reason.com uh which i'm not sure i'm not sure it's really my my kind of publication it's free minds and free markets don um uh-huh. but uh anyway there's 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 info here that we should talk about uh federal court upholds cruel un- unconstitutional st louis ban on sharing food with homeless the ordinance governing how food can be shared is designed to make it to next to impossible to share food Earlier this month, the federal appeals court upheld the St. Louis ban on sharing, quote, potentially hazardous foods with the homeless and less fortunate. Um, Courthouse News reports the ban was challenged by Pastor Raymond Redlick and a colleague who believe they both have a duty and a right to provide food to people in need. The suit grew out of a Halloween 2018 incident, which police ticketed Redlick and Christopher um, Onimus, both employees of the New Life Evangelical Center in St. Louis, and ordered them to appear in court for handing out bologna sandwiches to homeless people. The citation alleged that the pair were operating without a permit and that the probable cause for arrest existed for operating prepared food without proper permits. Um, city didn't prosecute them, but uh, they uh, sued anyway uh, and continued sharing food. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of law- lawsuit aspect here, but then it was upheld in in federal court. And um, the uh, I'll give the like some more from the the court ruling. Um, uh, it prohibits the serving. This is the ordinance. It prohibits the serving of any sandwiches that contain meat, poultry, eggs, or fish, citing food safety justifications. But the same ordinance allows the serving of potentially hazardous foods, quote, requiring limited preparation, such as hamburgers and frankfurters, apparently because those foods only require seasoning and cooking. Notable bologna <laughs> sandwich requires neither of those. Apparently, St. Louis and the Eighth Circuit believe that sandwiches containing meat, poultry, eggs, or fish are less likely to cause foodborne illness than hamburgers and hot dogs, which are, after, um, which are, after all, sandwiches containing meats. So... Uh, can we just not please just give food away and and like not sorry let me go back and say that again can we please allow people to give food away and and just instead of like shutting them down for not having a permit just help them with the food safety aspects of this somehow like like i, I just i don't know i feel like this is a it's a whole it's a whole thing that probably has very little to do with the bologna sandwiches and more to do with not wanting to support the support of homeless um, communities or, you know, um, without people without homes. Yeah. 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 This is, this is, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, This is just, this is just nonsense, right? It's, it's using, and it's, 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 it's bad enough that they're doing it, but they're using food. And of course, no one wants to give people who are unhomed, food poisoning, right? But there's a way to do it safely. And bologna sandwiches are not high on the risk of things that I'm worried about, uh, high on the list of things I'm worried about from a food safety risk, you know? So yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, cruel, cruel. And (laughs) I don't know about unconstitutional. I'm not a constitutional lawyer, but it sure as hell is cruel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I would be much more worried about the uh, hamburgers, you know, from a perspective of cross-contamination and cooking properly. So I, it just it befuddled me to see that 
there's this double standard in this case. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to put a call out there right now. If anybody's dealing with these types of legal challenges, Don, I, I'm going to, I'm going to put you up for this too. We, I, I'd like to be part of this, right? Like I, if you need an expert opinion mm-hmm. on these things, I feel like we could help with this. Like that, yep. you know, who, who are the experts that were involved mm-hmm. in this, um, in this challenge? I, you know, the, and, uh, and I'm a little disheartened that it's this, like, part of this is the city of St. Louis mm-hmm. that's involved in this, right? Like I, I, and I, again, I don't know anybody I'd, um, the let's let's just make this up the st louis health department is that a thing um it's probably like uh some something like that uh health department city of st louis don't know anybody there that i know of but but i feel like this is something that it's it's not very uh, food safety is being used in a bad way here that mm-hmm. yeah that we should be part we should be part of the solution yeah, I, I agree. And we and we have a history of doing this. We helped yep. a couple that was uh, getting married that wanted to have uh, their guests take home leftovers from the reception, the, the wedding reception. And we were successfully able to help them navigate through that. And they're, they were happy and we we're happy to be a part of it, you know. So and again, our, our good friend, um, RIP Brian Numer had, had done a lot of work with Las Vegas and giving away um, you know, making sure the foods from casinos that are left over can get safely used. Um, so yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot that we could do here in terms of stopping food from going to waste and also feeding people that need it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I will offer my services up if, if there's some like terrible ordinances that need to be taken off the books and you need some sort of an expert to write an opinion. I I'm, I'm in, count me in. I'm there. Um, uh, for this, the, these ones are, I don't know. I find this, this kind of stuff frustrating. Um, there was, there was something else I was going to ask about. Well, what do you, what, what Caitlin, what do you want to talk about? You're, 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 <laughs> yeah. you're a mystery guest. Don't worry about us. Oh, this is your um, show now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I've been so busy with other things lately that I have not had time to be up on the, uh, food safety news so um i don't know well all right well i'll give you one i gave gave you the uh this is one that i had sent uh to don yesterday um and uh let me go ahead and take a look at this um i think it was yesterday about people that should uh that potentially might go to jail um (laughs) where is it here we go um link coming your way in the zoom chat right now and i will read this one jm smucker knew about gif salmonella trouble but did not report it as required by law yikes yeah right right okay so (laughs) so here here we go um and and again not i don't want to get anybody in well caitlin i don't know your situation with jm smucker but this is what we want to talk about not connected good thanks uh so uh this is from the food safety news uh good folks at, at food safety news dan flynn but dan flynn is reporting on something that phyllis entis of e food alert um uh sourced uh through a freedom of information act so um uh, essentially in this this outbreak um uh gosh what 21 confirmed cases in 17 states four hospitalizations and no deaths 
but there was um, a, an FDA inspection observation report, which is known as a 483, uh, on, that says on May 31st, 2022, quote, we observed you did not address contaminated or potentially con contaminated finished peanut butter distributed to consumers. Quote, and this again from the 483, on February 17th, 18, 2022, you identified a breach in a redacted system, uh, which contaminated the redacted roasters and redacted and redacted. <laughs> Based on your, don't worry, you'll get the gist of this. Based on your investigation, the breach was determined to be an approximately one inch opening in the redacted gas gasket had existed since the installations of the roasters um, redacted, redacted. Peanut butter producing ro roasters had been distributed since November 2021. Um, you did not take any measures to alert consumers or recall the contaminated product. Um, and, uh, you know, this, you didn't report this event to the reportable food registry, but they knew about it. They knew about, um, it wasn't specifically that they, you know, if we go back to the like peanut corporation of America, egregious stuff, it wasn't that they knew that there was salmonella in it, mm -hmm. but they knew that there was something wrong with their process and they didn't mm -hmm. report it. Like that's the, that's the issue. Right. And so this um, you know, our, our little text chat where we were talking about this is, um, people do this all the time. Um, why do they, how, you know, uh, so I, I, we won't, um, well, no, I'll, I'll out our friend Linda Harris. She says, how many times does this stuff happen and that they don't get caught? And my response was right. And when they do, they go to prison, right? Like this is, yeah. this is the thing it's, it gets really bad if they, if, if they're not following the federal requirements on stuff like this. So I don't know. I don't know anything. Don, do you have anything else to add to the world of GIF right now? No, except what is it again? In some, I'm stealing this from one of the commenters on the post. Like, what is it with the peanut butter industry, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. is it is? I mean, it's you know, it's there's yeah. I mean, it's it's just like it doesn't. I mean, it you know. Uh, yeah, it's it doesn't doesn't make sense, right? Like if it's one thing if you've never had a problem in your industry before, but man, peanut industry yeah. and you know they and the peanut butter producers they should know this, right? Right. Like this has happened again and again, um, and again again most people you know probably in the industry are good actors, but wow, yeah, and that's what I try mm -hmm. to explain to people is like most people in the food industry you know they're doing the best that they can and it's one thing if you don't know and you just screw up because you're stupid right or, mm -hmm. or you didn't think about it but it's it's another thing you know like if your <laughs> if your process authority doesn't doesn't give you a proper process well how are you supposed to know that right you're just supposed to mm -hmm. use the process that they gave you and trust the process authority um that's not that's not in a reference to anything Kate, yeah. <laughs> that, that you don't want to talk about but um um but yeah it's just like it's one thing to be incompetent but it's another thing to just be you know to break the law and that's what these that's clearly yeah. what these people did and again i i try to tell people you know that 99 percent of the people in the food industry are want to do the right thing right but then that one percent has to go and, and ruin it <laughs> well and and it's you know um we we've talked don quite a bit about like the world of food safety culture right mm -hmm. and this is one of those ones where if you think about the corporate structure of jm smucker Right. Like they've they've got to be they've got to be pretty huge. Right. Um, and, you know, so you've got like 
acquisitions and co-packers and lots of different, you know, different plants. And some plants are going to be better actors than other plants. But it really doesn't matter to, to J.M. Smucker or it doesn't matter to me as a consumer of J.M. Smucker. They all are going to be connected, right? The reality is right. that, that it's, it is, you know, there, there are, there's good and bad. It's, it's, a, it's a continuum across the entire organization. And when something like this happens, it's going to paint the entire company and all of their products. Because I don't know when I go to the grocery store and I buy Jif, whether it's coming from their Lexington, Kentucky plant mm-hmm. or somewhere else, right? And, and which is the good one, right? Like if I think of our, our friend Max um, from uh, who, who would maybe ask like, okay, that's, that's fine. Just, just what's, what's the good one? What's the, what's the one I want? Right. You know, not like, I, I don't know. You, you tell me do which, which plant do I want it from? And no, right. no one's there. No, we don't have the right. ability to get to right. that. Right. Uh, yeah. It's that, yeah. That's, that stuff's frustrating. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think about this and, and really think it through from a perspective of, you know, what went wrong in this entire process. So, you know, JM Smucker gets this roaster, it's installed, you know, who's the one from the roaster company that's coming out and doing the engineering, but also who's there responsible for food safety? You know, is there someone in their company who's coming out and saying, you know, this gasket is important and and I'm trying to even picture what what this gasket looks like and, and the impact it could have on the Redacted. product. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, gasket redacted from company redacted, but you know, just where in the process was food safety not addressed soon enough? And was it was it this company that didn't ask enough questions? Did they know what questions to ask? Did they know the potential food safety impact of this failed gasket? You know, it's just it all comes back to the training and 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 knowledge that these people are getting when they get this equipment in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I mean, I think that that's exactly the, you know, the issue here, right? And it sounds like there were these new roasters that were installed and, mm-hmm. and the, the, the oversight of that led to, um, you know, water pooling from deflective flanges, allowing rainwater and air to enter the roasters and contact oh. peanuts after the roasting step. Like, yeah that's like that seems egregious right like that seems yeah, real yeah. that's bad yeah yeah well there's mm-hmm. there's there's the mistake of the incorrect yes. installation mm-hmm. and then there's like the comp it's the okay now we've got a problem and we don't know we don't know how to fix it or we didn't fix it or mm-hmm. we didn't think we had the mm-hmm. money to fix it and then oh crap we we uh ship contaminated potentially contaminated product uh, mm-hmm. and then we're not going to do a recall and we're not going so it's just it's a series of bad decisions right uh, yeah you know, which are just, you know, again, I think system, it, it, these are, are indicate that there is a, a problem. I, I hate, I hate, Ben, you know how much I hate food safety culture as I know, a buzzword, I know. but this yep. is a company that does not have food safety culture. Well, no. they, and I'd say they do. They do. Oh, it's, it's just, just a not, bad culture. Yeah, it's, or it's <laughs> a bad culture. It's immature and it's not consistent across the company, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or, or at least I don't have the view that it's consistent. It's that, that there's some there's a bad situation here, and that that is part of the corporate culture, right? Like the fact that that this happens, and that it slips through their own cracks. Like someone, and I don't know. We I think we did this, right? I think we looked up if there's a 
IA, there's got to be an IAFP member of Smuckers. From right? Smuckers? Yeah. Um, but, you know, somehow at the plant level in February, they knew about a problem. And whether that filtered up or they thought that it was necessary to filter that up to, cor <laughs> to the corporate food safety group or not, that's unclear to us. Whether or right. Don, as you mentioned, the even if corporate heard about it, how do they fix it? Kind of situation, how do they address it? What, whatever it is, there's a bunch of failings here, and it just seems real clear. Like there's not often in a 483, do you get as clear as this? You knew about something in your own records. We're telling you because we reviewed your records, and you were a source of an outbreak right around the same time. And you didn't do like this is why we have the reportable food registry, right? Like right. this is why there 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 are some really good aspects of FISMA that didn't exist before. The FDA's reportable food registry is one of them, and you didn't you didn't do what you're supposed to do. Like you know, I don't know what to tell you. You're gonna like, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to going to prison, but this seems like there's criminal. There's cert. This is certainly going to be used in the civil case. No question about it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And there's, and so just to answer your question, the IAFP member directory has four people mm. listed who work for the JM Smuck company. Um, so we, so we so. know that there are people that are in the professional organization, right? Like in many yep. of these cases, we don't, we don't have those. I don't, I don't know any of these people. Yeah. Okay. okay. But, we don't, but we don't, I know they're in the database. We don't know everybody. No, we don't. <laughs> but they're there. Right. Yeah. So, well, so, so here's yeah. here's here's one who's based in Ohio mm -hmm. here. And we're not going to dox these people. But no. here's another one based in Ohio. Here's another one based in Ohio. <laughs> and here's another one based in Ohio. So they're they're all based in Oroville, Ohio, which I'm guessing is corporate headquarters. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. That's a, this is a tough one. Yeah, let's well, while we're hold on while we're while we're while we're digging here again, no names, um, manager of food safety. Okay, but again, these people probably didn't know um, no. senior manager of food safety. Assistant to the no, that's a joke. Uh, QA microbiology technologist. Actually, it's it's written technology. Technology -ist. that's a funny one. I think that's a typo. I'm gonna put that in the chat for you guys. Um, and then the last one is a microbiology lab supervisor. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's I, I don't blame these people, right? No. These people are, are, you know, probably didn't know about it. Well, and this is so, Don, I know you, you, you think uh, food safety uh, culture is a lot of hooey uh, sometimes. Yeah, can be. Uh, yeah, yeah. Except um, when you do it, Ben. Yeah, well, when, you do it, it's good. when I do it, it's good. Yeah. No, but this is this is one where it's like, OK, the the corporate structure, like who's got the power here, right? The, the right. if, if there's no well, probably not any of those four people <laughs> right well and to Caitlin's point the the you know there someone who is overseeing new equipment installation is is probably not the microbiologist in the lab who's getting samples right, right? like like that's a different that's a different person it's a different role a good mature food safety culture connects all those things together right where there's someone who's got a food safety focus who's also part of reviewing when this is gets installed and then also anytime it's related to, to anything you know potential contamination of the product is looped in to figure out okay what do we need to do compliance wise here and what do we need to do from a 
food safety business protection risk management wise. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know this one. I want to look at the, the 483. I don't think, I'm not sure Phyllis actually posted the whole thing. I think she just, um, her e-food alert just has, um, sections of this, but I, yeah. I think that that's going to be, that's certainly going to be part of the, the long-term story around smuckers and Jeff. Yes. Um, and so I mentioned, we'll, we'll link to Phyllis's um, website here. She has, uh, do you know Phyllis at all, Don? have you? I, I know the name. Yeah, so so she's, I've spoken with her a bunch of times. Um, she's really cool. Um, she's a, uh, it says here, a freelance writer and retired food safety micro, microbiologist with degrees from McGill University, that's in Canada, and the University of Toronto, also in Canada. She lives in Victoria, British Columbia, which is in Canada, <laughs> with her husband and their Australian cobber dog, Shalom. Uh, and I don't know what a cobber dog is, but that sounds awesome. She um, she wrote a like I I either reviewed this. Did you do you know about this book, Tainted? Uh, yes, we talked about this. We did. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is a pretty good book for for those who are like interested in the like knowing a little bit about food safety and are new to this. Um, so check it out. It's on our website. We'll, we'll send it, send, send things. We'll, we'll not send it. We will post, uh, this in our show notes. So, um, Oh, speaking of books about food safety, did you get the email from Marler that I they've did. made uh, poisoned into a Netflix series? I, yes. And did you know that? I, I think you know this, but I, the, the here's our bit on this, Don. Did you know that I'm in said Netflix oh, series? Oh, I think I did know this. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I'm not. I'm not envious at all. No, so, that's why I don't remember that. Let Let me go. Let me go ahead and say I think I'm in it because I haven't seen it. Right? Like you never know. <laughs> things Things get cut. But I was. I did go to DC to to film an interview for a couple of days, um, and and it was you know what they should have filmed you know they should have filmed that scene in the bar in Seattle. That's <laughs> true. We're, we're, That's what we're they should have filmed. Forgot about us. Yeah. Um, so have you? Did you? Um, Caitlin, did you ever read this book, Poisoned? Do you, uh, do you know no, I this? haven't. Nope. Oh, we'll I'll, we'll send you. We'll send you something here. Bill Bill will send you a copy. Yeah. Oh. He'll send you an autograph copy. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a um so it's it's highly readable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's readable and it's I think it does a really good job placing what we do in context for the whole like food safety world, right? Because it's it's through the mm -hmm. lens of a of a civil case. But it certainly brings in the regulatory, epidemiological investigation, and the industry response to, you know, a, a, a landmark outbreak. And it's yeah, mm -hmm. you're right, Don. It's, it is extremely readable. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I, you know, go ahead and, and and check it out. And there's new, there's a new version that has a little Netflix uh, sticker on it. Yeah. It's coming out on on the Netflix. Um. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. I'm I'm always a little nervous. So this one, this I, I'm sure I can talk about it. Like I didn't sign anything. I I they I I talked for maybe three hours in the interview, mm -hmm. and um, 
we talked a lot about different aspects of, of food safety, but a real big portion was about like salmonella and campylobacter in, in poultry for whatever reason, right? Like that mm-hmm. was just something that, that came up a lot. And it more than anything else that I've been part of, it got fact checked. Like I got, mm-hmm. I got, I, I'm sure I can go back and find, but they're like, Hey, you said this, we can't find that anywhere. <laughs> wow. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. And so I sent them like, you know, we got into just data from USDA FSIS's website on their monthly and annual reports on Campylobacter and, and Salmonella. Um, and, and, you know, but it was really like, they were really, really careful about, about all the things I said that they, mm-hmm. that, that, that apparently might've been, they felt were made up. Yeah. But, oh, so yeah. I, yeah, but I showed them receipts, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I got the receipts. So I, so I got that out there. Um, yeah, so we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that all that all turns out. Um, there was something else. January, right? Apparently, yeah, yeah. Sometimes in twenty twenty three. So, Don, I have a question for you because you mm-hmm. never sometimes. So, what were you doing on October thirty first, Halloween, a couple of days ago, at about eleven fifty one a.m., where you put the uh, home delivered foods and meal kits. Uh, oh, into the what, what? What was it that you were gonna that you wanted to talk about in the podcast? Yeah. So yeah. so yeah. So this is a uh, what would you call this? A fact sheet? Yeah, it's like a fact sheet. Fact sheet. Um, it, yeah. Yeah. Safe uh, safe plates uh, thing. And yeah, I wanted to talk to you about this. So we've been working with a well, I, I mean, you know, with the whole area of, of, of home delivered foods and meal kits and and you know delivery options. You know the whether it's. Uh, um, through the mail or whether it's from a driver, you know, a, a, what do you call it? A, a contractor, you know, not an employee. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So I'm just interested. Is this, is there a paper coming or is this, yes. is this it? Okay. No, no, there's a paper coming. The, this is one of those ones where someone wanted to put out a press release um, and we wanted to control it a little bit. I think I talked mm-hmm. to you about it, like the best way to do this. They're like, mm-hmm. how can we release some of this? But not have it go through the peer review process because that's going to take too long. We want to talk about it right now. So we did this. But, yeah, there's a paper right now that's uh, like has been submitted. So, oh, cool. yeah. So it's in it, it is in it's in review. Um, right. Well, I don't know. Like it, it was just submitted. So who knows if it's made it to reviewers yet? Um, oh, well, and yeah. JFP uh, food protection trends. OK. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. And I know they've been they've been at least JFP has been struggling with the uh, transition to new publishers. I don't, know, I don't know what's happening with FPT. Yeah. So, and Caitlin, I realize that you don't have access to the, to this, but essentially we did a project. I'll send you a link to this um, here in a second. We did a project where we ordered a bunch of home delivery foods and then um, in some cases left it out on, on our doorsteps. Um, sort of worst case scenarios, like someone, you know, it was delivered at one point, but someone didn't come home until after work. Uh, and checked temperatures and looked at the um, the integrity of the box and the packaging uh, to get a sense just like normal consumer stuff. Like we just ordered directly from a series. I think it was 12 different um, different companies and, and found, I mean, a, a few. Um, I, I thought a few things that are of interest um, and there's more Dawn in the paper. Actually, I think I can mm-hmm. send you the um, the what, the manuscript that we submitted. Um, but the, hang on, let me pull this up here. How did I lose that? 
Yeah, well, and it's it's not. I mean, you know, it's no shade. It's not too dissimilar from what Bill yep. Hallman and colleagues found with their, um, you know, uh, which was not about meal kits, but but about mail order meats. Uh, but basically, yeah. So there's some good companies out there that are doing a good job, and there's some bad companies out there that are maybe not doing such a good job. And you know, but again, it's like just and again it's you know we love to talk about on this show because this is not risky or not this is a show where we get to dither um i'm not I, is, is am i really worried if, if one particular food item is above 40 degrees fahrenheit well it depends on how high how much above and how long was it at that temperature right right so right right, right. well and and these are th- this is one where um the food matters how long it was there at that temperature matters and um really yeah like you said how how high did it get above right and the regulatory gray area is if it's above 41 what does it mean right like who who owns it when it's you know who who's done their due diligence to get it to me the consumer um and how long does it how long does it sit there for so yeah paper paper is forthcoming it's on it's, it's on its way yep um, and I think we presented maybe something about this. At, yeah, maybe uh, there's a poster or something. Yeah, yeah. Something like I just, it just it came up in a conversation we were having with a not not a meal kit company, but a, a, a industry adjacent company that oh. was has questions about you know wants to help yeah. with their technology. So cool, cool, cool. Uh, what else, what else we got going on? Oh, I found something. Hang on, um, Caitlin, this is about you. Well, not about you but something that you might be interested in. Oh no, I hope it's positive press. Oh yeah, no, no, you're not in it. Um, <laughs> oh good, all right. Yeah, but it's about canned meats and like history. So uh, uh, we, had a, we had a guest on the podcast uh, a few episodes ago, Hannah Raskin, who writes a Substack mm-hmm. called the, the Food Section. Um, mm-hmm. And she has, uh, hang on, I'll we'll drop a link to this article for you both. Um, she writes a couple of times a week. She's great. Um, check her, check her stuff out. But she, this is a story that I didn't know anything about, but back after the rationing of world war one, the city of new Orleans had 50,000 tons of canned roast beef that they had to get rid of because they were just holding like, like holding it because they weren't sure how long the war was going to last. And so they, basically like got rid of it and sold it to, to people. And it sort of like, she, she kind of goes through the whole like history of this, but I had no idea they had, um, you know, and it makes sense, right? Like they, they had army surplus foods of canned bacon, tomatoes, tremendous stocks of jam. Uh, this was in the, uh, city of new Orleans. Um, yeah, she, she links to a, um, uh, like a PDF of of an announcement uh, of this, but they say that prices, it is said, will be considerably under the present retail quotations. The Times Picayune referred its re- readers. Times Times Picayune is how Pic- you say the name Pic- of that newspaper. See, I, I, I don't I don't know how to pronounce things, Don. That's okay. That's why I'm here. Picayune, Picayune. Times, Times Picayune, which is probably one of the best newspaper names ever. It is. Um, uh yeah so anyway they they got rid of a whole bunch of canned food so anyway i this made me think because i when i read this it was mm-hmm. like the headline grabbed me right can meat fans scare 
uh, or scarce in in New Orleans. I, w- I was thinking they were trying to sell off 50,000 tons of vintage canned roast beef now. Right? I thought exactly the same oh, thing. Yeah. Yes. Um, but it was... I, it, I think it's some clever writing by Hannah. Very good. And I was like, whoa, this is a 100-year-old canned meat. We need to get some of this. We need to get yeah. our hands on, on some of this. And and turns out, no, it just was It was hard to get rid of it um, 100 years ago. Yeah, which makes <laughs> sense. Much less right? now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a- anyway, this I thought this was kind of... Um, you know, kind of, kind of cool. She she goes into the idea of like MREs and and just shelf stable um, uh, army food um, mm-hmm. uh, as well. So, um, have you have you come across any of that as it relates to your your processors or canners um, that that you see like people that are looking for like not not just like canned items, but they're looking for these like shelf stable meals at all. Uh, so. Personally, yes, um, but professionally, no. Um, and in personal experience, I made the regrettable decision to uh, join the Rebel Canning Group on Facebook. Oh, nice! <laughs> just to just to get some content and uh, uh, you know see what people are doing and see what the research need is as far as developing new recipes and collaborating with Carla. Um, and people are really into this idea of a meal in a can and um, dry canning is another trend that's going on that I, I think is really fascinating and I'd be interested in collecting some data on. So, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, trending back, I think, as we're in this, you know, weird era of is the world going to end or will we wake up tomorrow? <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I heard that there's an, uh, a really big asteroid that's in our orbit today. Oh, fun. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, yeah. It's, it's known as a planet killer. Nice. Those, those nice. are always good. Yeah, that we couldn't we couldn't see um, because because uh, it was in the sun's glare. So I but but all that all that being said, um, maybe, uh, you know, may, maybe prepping for that is not like um, storing, um, you know, 40, 40 tons of rice is not going to help us. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think I think if there's an asteroid coming for us that's a planet destroyer, I think I think prepping meals would be a little bit um, bit of a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Um, cool. Well, I don't know, Dom. What else? What else do we have uh, on our on our list of things to chat about? I don't know. Um, I that might be a show. Unless, unless Caitlin has an embarrassing uh, story she wants to tell about us or, or oh, about herself. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't think I have enough embarrassing. No, I don't. I don't know what embarrassing content I would have on um, on either of you. So. Well, well that's good because I don't know what. That's embarrassing highly unfortunate. Content out there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Other than you, you uh, um, hustling me at, at golf. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty good one. It is. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's a really. It's a really really good one. Um, <laughs> Well, Caitlin, thanks for thanks for joining us and playing along with the uh, yeah. twenty questions. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I was yeah. uh, laughing quite hard here at my desk today. So. <laughs> at, at us? At, yes, uh, okay. I was. I was not laughing with you. I was laughing at you. That, that's the best podcast. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. we, that's the one we, we strive to produce. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, we end this in the most awkward way, always. So um, I think that's Bye. a show. Bye. <laughs> Caitlin, you're supposed to say bye. Bye.
<laughs> there we go. Now we're now we're out. <laughs>yeah caitlin sorry i had i texted don i have a heart out at 11 30 i have to go to uh yeah no that's fine some fundraising do- donor Oof. foundation meeting so. yeah you I'm love actually, that as uh, an apartment head though don't you you oh, love that you I, live I, for I, that don i like money you know i you know i like a, <laughs> I'm a I'm, i like a, i like money coming in i'm a money guy yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, and that's an important attribute of a department head. Yeah. A department head that didn't like money and wasn't about bringing money in, I think they would not be a very good department head. Right, right. That's, I feel that this is why, it's part of the reason why I, um, I, I was positioned well for the job is the, I like, I like money. <laughs> I, like, I do things. I like, what's that song? Is I like, I like money. Is that the song? Uh, maybe. Um, money, it's what I like. Yeah. <laughs> no. Is that my, yeah? That's, that's Nancy one, Sinatra, yeah. right? Money, Nancy. Is that right? Not to be confused with the famous Pink Floyd song "Money." No, it's not Nancy Sinatra. Money. It's what I want. Yes. The Flying Lizards. Is that it? Oh, now it's it's Verbo that's playing in my headphones here all right well according to uh oh the yeah that that's very strong maybe very strong or 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 the flying lizards could be yeah i think this is it who originally sang money uh oh wait see oh but then that's pink floyd so anyway we got we got a lot to link to here ben no it's the one i know is the is the flying lizards version yes i don't know why i thought it was nancy sinatra that's maybe the worst that's the worst guess of all oh, time yeah um flying lizards yeah the best things in life are free yeah, yeah that's the one money that's what i want F- flying lizards huh all right flying. we'll link to that as well yep perfect good um <laughs> when uh when should we when should we do this again uh let's take a look here so today is the second so two weeks from today the 16th i am flying back from canadia what about the what about the seventeenth? Oh, hello. Hello. Yes. Hello. You there? Yes. Yes. Um, what? How does the seventeenth look in the afternoon? 
in the morning and I've got a retirement uh, for a colleague at 4.30, but my afternoon is wide open. I could do, could we do take this like one till 4.30 time frame? Yeah. What? what, what? <laughs> uh oh. Would one o'clock work? Sure, one o'clock would be fine. Okay, let's do that. Perfect. FST done. Um, I think that's it. One, one to three. One to three. Got it. Um, Kaylin, thanks again. Thanks again for joining us. This was, this was awesome. Yeah, this was yeah, fun. You were, I, you were a great. You were a great mystery guest. Uh, yeah, I I finally, to, it was good to have one that Ben. Uh, I had to remind myself a couple of times that I was actually in the podcast and not just listening. Listening. To it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's really funny. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, that's hilarious. I never really thought about that. That's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As a listener, you're like, wait a second, what's happening? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Wait, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can talk on the other one. You just won't say anything back to me. Exactly. If we, if we do, then you, yeah. you probably should call somebody. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. cool. All right. Well, All I right. gotta, I gotta run. Um, and, uh, uh, we're all, we're all set. Um, cool. all right. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Yeah. Bye. See ya.